Welcome to From the Median, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Good evening and welcome to From the Median, where we are concerned with the middle ground, not just to understand both sides of an argument, but also to awaken the consciences of those who are neutral or indifferent to this, the greatest civil rights movement of all times, the pro-life movement. This evening, we continue our Bringing America Back to Life series. Tonight, we will feature a presentation from our 2022 convention. We know that you will be inspired by the ideas, the principles, the experiences, and the wisdom of our speakers as they join us to pave the way back to life through prayer, action, voting, and education. Donna Marie Murphy and her husband Jim are the founders of Heaven's Gain Ministries, the most comprehensive organization serving those who are experiencing stillbirth and miscarriage. They serve over 1,500 families a year with products and services that provide dignity to the child and support the family. As a certified baby loss family advisor, Donna sits down with the families and prepares them for the birth of their baby, who has died in utero. Her clients come in scared and leave empowered and ready to greet and create memories with their baby. Besides the many services Heaven's Gain Ministry offers, they provide caskets and urns for families experiencing the loss of a baby at all gestational ages. As Donna's presentation clarifies, their ministry provides a vital missing piece to the pro-life movement. Hello, I'm Donna Marie Murphy. I'm a daughter to God the Father in Heaven bought by the price of Jesus Christ's blood, and inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. I am a mother of 11 children, a wife to Jim, and a pro-life advocate. When I was pregnant with my first child, I decided to study baby development in the womb. And when I studied it, I was just so amazed. And I was like, wow, like if everybody saw these pictures, I don't I don't think many people would choose abortion. And so I started volunteering at Pregnancy Center West. And I was a counselor there for years. And then a few years into it, they said, hey, would you help us develop a chastity program with Pregnancy Center East? And I said, sure. And I worked on the fetal development, choices in pregnancy, and the truth about abortion. And that's what I spoke about in the schools for Pregnancy Center East and for Pregnancy Center West. I also spoke for Cincinnati Right to Life. Well, our Pregnancy Center West was blessed to get an ultrasound machine donated to them in 2006. And at this point, I was in my last pregnancy, and uh, they said, hey, could you be a model for our ultrasound? I said, sure. So while I'm walking in, the baby starts kicking, and he's moving all around. and, And so I get in there, and I lay on the table, and he is moving like crazy, and the tech's moving around. She's like, wow, he's really active. And I said, yeah, I'm an older mom. It's going to keep me young. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, you know, just, just full of joy seeing my baby so happy. About a week later, I, I noticed that my hands and my legs were swelling. So I uh, called the doctor's office. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get preeclampsia, but they'll tell me quit eating salt. And I'm like, okay. So I went in. And the nurse couldn't find the Doppler, couldn't find the heartbeat with the Doppler at first. And that had happened the last appointment. Everything was fine. So I wasn't really worried. And then she said, can you, can you please um, come into this next room? And the doctor had an ultrasound, and he did the ultrasound on my belly. And I could see there was no heartbeat. He didn't even tell me. I just said, I see no heartbeat. And he just shook his head. I said, I guess I'm in the 3%. I guess I'm in that 3% that loses a baby in the second trimester. And I I just was numb. I walked to the front desk because I had to schedule a second ultrasound for confirmation. And we scheduled it for a couple hours later. And she said, do you want to call somebody? I was like, yeah, call somebody. Yeah, I I, I should do that. And so... uh, I called my husband and I said, the baby has died. And he was like, oh, that's not even funny. Don't even say that. I'm like, no. 
it's not funny. And so I drove home. He drove me to the next appointment. And when I got to the next ultrasound, they said, we want you to know there's a 90% chance that they were right. And I said, oh, there's 10% chance that they weren't. And they were right. The baby had died. There was no heartbeat. My husband, being the wonderful, good man and provider that is, wanted to provide a casket for his son. And so he said, let's go to some funeral homes when we left the ultrasound. And so we went into funeral home after funeral home. Everywhere we went, we, they said, no, no, we don't have a casket for your baby. No, there's no such thing as a casket for a baby who's eight inches long. There's no such thing. He's only eight inches long? No, there's no caskets. We went to two cemeteries. Same thing. Doors closing. No, there's no such thing. Finally, we were calling around to funeral homes, and one place said, go to the world market and get yourself a box. And that's what we did. If you can see on the screen the box that we got for our son, that was the box we got at the world market. The inside looked just like it, just as hard, cold wood. So I went home and I tried to sew some linens that night before I went into the hospital the next day. When we went into the hospital, the words of preparation before we went there were, be there at 8 a.m. That was it. No preparation was given to us to prepare us for what we were going to experience in the hospital. And we needed preparation. And that wasn't right. But it is what is. The next following day is when I delivered Gabe. And two days after that, we buried him. My husband said, this is wrong that we're placing our baby in the ground without having him in a casket. And I said, it's wrong that I wasn't prepared. And he said, well, someone should make sure that there's baby caskets. And I said, yes, someone else should make sure that there's baby caskets, not us. But later on, we felt the call and we started Heaven's Gain Ministries. So I believe the missing piece to the pro-life movement is serving families with experiencing miscarriage and stillbirth. And you may say, I'm sorry that happened to you, Donna, but that's just a little piece. That's just a little piece, but it's not so small as you may think. In 2010, Time Magazine said that the number of abortions in this country and the number of miscarriages were the same. They equaled. Since then, we've done good work, and we've decreased the number of abortions in our country, but the number of miscarriages have stayed the same over a million miscarriages every single year in this country. That's a lot of people who aren't being served. Statistically-wise, let me give you a little information. In the first trimester, one in four babies is lost. And those babies are either delivered at home or they get a DNC in the hospital. In the second trimester, you know, when you have that little bump, but you're not huge yet, one in 33 of those people will lose a baby. One in 33. That's a lot of people. Those babies sometimes are delivered at home, but most of the time they're either delivered in the hospital or the mother has to have a D&E type surgery. In the third trimester, or as preemies, it's one in 160 babies who die. 24,000 babies every year are stillborn, and 22,000 babies die in the first year of life. There are actually more babies who die of stillbirth than die in the first year of life. And in the pro-life movement, we've done a really good job. Like I said, I've been involved in the pro-life movement for 31 years. We help with parenting, parenting classes, diapers, formula, baby food, as much as we can to help these people to be good parents. We help with abortion education. We tell them the truth so hopefully they make an educated choice. And we talk to them about adoption in case they are just not ready to be a parent, that they know that they still can carry on this life. But what are we doing about stillbirth and miscarriage? What are we doing? That's one-fourth of the babies. What are we doing? But even if it wasn't a million people a year, even if it was just one family, just one family who had to go through the labor process and deliver their child, who had to hold their child warm as he slowly turned cold in their arms, who had to see how red their child was when he was born, who had to place their child in the ground, even that one family would be worth it. But it is a million families. 
and a caring pro-life response to pregnancy loss can make a huge difference to our culture. And if we change the mindset, we can change the culture. There's a girl named Rachel who has this website called The Lewis Note. And she says, when building a family is just a little bit complicated. She has two living children. Between them, she lost four to miscarriage and one to an ectopic pregnancy. And, and then she um, fostered a child and she adopted a child. So she built her family a little bit different. But she had so many losses and she had a lot of pro-life friends. And her pro-life friends did not treat her the way she thought they would. She was like, well, they believe in the sanctity of life. I don't understand. So she goes on and on in this blog kind of website about how she felt like her friends were not supporting her. She said they would say things like, an aborted baby could have been the next Einstein, Bach, or Mother Teresa, but a miscarried baby was probably damaged goods. Or an aborted baby was killed against God's design, but a miscarried baby fulfilled God's plans. Or an aborted baby should always be missed in this world. God created them for a special purpose, no matter what health issues they may have had. But a miscarried baby was meant for heaven, and we moms should be so thankful that we have a baby in heaven and should not grieve the loss of that child, their place on earth. After all, they never truly had a place on earth, did they? Or an aborted baby's mom should know exactly what she's missing out on if she has living children. But a miscarried baby's mom should not grieve that loss, but instead be thankful for the lives of her living children. Or an aborted baby is a tragedy, but a miscarried baby is a slight bump on the road of life. I didn't write this. She did. But I felt very convicted when I read it. And she says, what if... What if you never compared the loss of a four-weeker to a 20-weeker? What if you didn't affirm to the world that all babies were valuable, but you affirmed to a bereaved mom that her baby was irreplaceable and would forever be missed? What if you were consistent? What if all your actions when dealing with loss of any kind affirmed that all life, it's all life, is worthy of recognition and worthy of grief? She said, if you really, if you... Do you really believe personhood begins at conception? If so, standing up against abortion is understandable. But so is treating a miscarried baby as a real death of a real person. She says it's a call to those of you who say you're pro-life. It's a call to be consistent. Are we being consistent? And so when I read this, I was just very moved about what she was saying and I understood because of comments said to me. So I say, after hearing this, I would like you to ponder. Are we serving families as we should? Are we trained to serve these families properly? And do we have the knowledge of where to refer families experiencing the loss of a miscarried or stillborn baby? Overall, the question is, should the pro-life movement take a more active role concerning miscarriage, stillbirth, and infant death. Yes! Yes, we should. We should, take, we should take this as a serious issue. I see it as three big, three big issues. First of all, are we promoting the dignity of the baby? Are we supporting and serving the grieving family? And how can we adjust the mind of the culture through our words and actions? You know, a miscarried babies and stillborn babies are often thought of as dreams that never came to fruition. Like these statues. They're statues. They're not real babies. And miscarried babies are often thought of as not real babies. And the pro-abortion crowd loves it when we behave this way. When we behave like these miscarried and stillborn babies are not real babies. But they are. They're real babies that will forever be missed. They're not just a hope or a dream. Yes, we have hopes and dreams for our children. But they're not just hopes and dreams. These are real babies that will forever be missed. So how do we view these babies? Do we view them as a trinket or as a treasure 
When we ignore or diminish the loss of a baby, denying the dignity of that baby, and that is not pro-life. Abby Johnson was one of the authors of The Walls Are Talking. Uh, it's a book where former abortion directors tell, tell their stories. In chapter 6, I'll read this little part to you. Because Jessica was unconscious, the staff members literally pushed on her abdomen to assist in the delivery. It was a boy. I remember being taken aback about how beautiful he was. The doctor snatched him, snipped the cord, wrapped him in blue paper, and tossed him into a red biohazard bag like so much garbage, then handed it off to a worker. That's upsetting. That's appalling. That happened to my friend who lost a baby at 19 weeks. They put the baby in a biohazard bag right in front of her at the hospital. That's what's happening. The abor- uh, this doctor, doctor, this abortionist in Indiana, they found 2,246 aborted uh, babies in his car, his home, in his re- fridge and freezer. And the, we are outraged by it, the pro-life movement. And we should be. This is totally terrible that these babies weren't treated with dignity. But I challenge you, should miscarried babies be treated with the same concern? The hospital walls are talking too. The same biohazard that these aborted babies are being tossed into, the miscarried babies are being tossed into. And we need to be concerned about that. Many hospitals place these babies in medical waste. A lot of parents flush the toilet because they just don't know what to do. So I'd like to explain miscarriage versus stillbirth to you. So miscarriage and stillbirth are both terms of when a baby dies inside of his mother. They're legal terms. And the difference is very important because a miscarriage versus a stillbirth is defined by law. And each state has different laws. So here in Ohio, up to 19 weeks is a miscarriage. And 20 weeks or further along is a stillbirth. In Pennsylvania, 15 weeks and below is a miscarriage, and 16 weeks and further along is a stillbirth. In another state, 23 weeks less is a miscarriage, or 24 weeks forward or a stillbirth. And the difference is important because stillbirth parents have rights, but people who miscarry their baby do not necessarily have rights. Here in Ohio, I was one of the people to write for the Parents' Grieving Act, and we do in Ohio, have the right to claim our baby's remains. But a lot of parents don't know that. And if they're not told that, they can't claim their baby's remains for burial. So the definitions vary by state. It could be weeks that they vary by. It could be weight that they vary by. But every state makes their own laws. So we need to educate and empower families. We have the uh, updated state laws on our website at Heaven's Gain. If you look under state laws... So if you know someone who's lost a baby, they can look it up and see if there's any rights. In the states that there are no rights, it's not that they are denied rights, it's just a gray area. So if you're not from Ohio, start working on your state's legislation to protect parents' rights to cremate or bury their babies. And burying the day, babies and burying the dead is so very important. Burying these babies gives peace to the mom, the dad, the family. Miscarried babies can be placed in medical waste, as I said, if there's no laws to protect them. Some hospitals have group burials, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, a lot of Catholic hospitals will, any babies that were left there, um, they'll be cremated and they'll put a name on it and do a group burial. Some hospitals give people months to claim their baby, and others give days. I had a client call me from the East Coast she went from preeclampsia into help syndrome, and she was very sick, and her baby died. She was full-term. And, and uh, so she woke up basically three days later and said, where's my baby? And they told her her baby had died, and it was, you know, a very sad scene. And then she said, I want to see my baby. And they said, I'm sorry, you had 48 hours to claim your baby. And so her baby was gone. So these are the kind of laws that we really need to have in these states, As I said, you can find the state laws on heavensgain.org. 
It would have been beautiful I had something like this to bury my baby in. This is a beautiful casket that we have made by the Amish at Heaven's Gain. How much more dignity would that have shown that our child was not just a trinket I threw in a jewelry box from an import store, but a real baby who will forever be missed. So we need to provide proper burial or cremation for these babies. So we have tiny little caskets were out in the hall and to the right. Um, Our booth is, you can see it, it's got a big baby in wings um, on the sign. And you can see we have the tiniest little caskets for babies for first trimester losses all the way through full term. And we have urns out there that show great dignity to the babies. In Bakersfield, California, they have the ideal thing that I think everybody should have. They have a baby mausoleum. All around the edges of this is little crypts for babies. Um, and not even that little, like they're up full term of them, full term babies. Um, and so babies can be placed in this mausoleum above the ground. And in the center is a place to pray, grieve, heal, and reflect. So now that we've covered Digny the baby, I'd like to talk about are we supporting and serving the grieving family? You know, protecting your child is natural. But accepting that you could not protect your child is devastating. You feel helpless to protect your child. You, you couldn't have stopped it. I mean, you, you heard my story. You know what was happening while he was so active? He was so active because there was a blood clot and he was fighting for his life. That's why they had to move that wand all around. You feel helpless. There's nothing you could do. I was having an ultrasound at the time, but they, did, they couldn't tell. You're so helpless as a parent who's lost a baby. People don't understand your grief. They think you've not met that person face-to-face. How could you grieve them? But we do. No one asks your story. You know... You know, I know a lot of guys, like my dad's a fireman, and he would tell his fireman stories, and he would tell his war stories, and guys, they have all these brave stories. And we women, our brave story is our birth story. You know, if we had six hours, I could tell you how all my kids were born, but we don't. But no one lets you tell the birth story of the child who has died. And it's really important that you be able to tell your story. So if you know someone who's lost a child... Welcome them to tell you their story. And because they can't tell it, it's a silent suffering. You know, when somebody dies, like grandpa dies, we all sit around the table and we eat and we talk and tell stories about grandpa. And then we say like, okay, you're going to do a reading and you're going to be a pallbearer and you're going to do offertory. Everybody gets their job. You feel loved by everybody and you remember your love for grandpa. And the at the church, you know, there's people at the church who love grandpa and there's people that love you. And it's, you know, it's sad, but it's still kind of a love, love fest. But when you lose a baby, it's just usually you and your husband. You're all alone. There's no one there to, to tell the story to. There's no one there to talk about it. There's no one there to s- support you. And it, even if you do get to have a church service, it's probably empty. And so it feels like a very hollow death. We have a survey arm of Heaven's Gain, and we've done over 1,800 surveys for parents who've lost babies. This particular survey I'm going to talk about now was of 512 women who lost their babies at 10 weeks or further along. 40% of them, this is post-loss trauma, 40% of them, said they had a physical ache in their arms. It's actually called empty arm syndrome. And so you'll find women who've lost babies carrying a sack of flour around because their arms feel like they need something heavy in them. 41% will worry about their living children all the time. Or they, get, you know, they might fall. You better not leave the house. I'm really worried. That, you know, if, if, if something happened to this baby, something could happen to you. And 48% fear losing one of those living children. have flashbacks and memories of the birth of that baby. 50% have nightmares, recurring nightmares that wake them up. 50% have changes in relationships. That could be for the good or bad. 54% have intrusive, upsetting memories of the birth that that happen with triggers. 
55% have increased irritability and outburst of anger. So if you can imagine, you've just lost your baby, and your six- and seven-year-old are having a fist fight or something over here or some kind of fight, and you like, you can't hurt each other, and like you're sc- you end up screaming. You have this outburst of anger because you're so worried about them, and they're hurting each other, and, and you're trying to protect them, and you, you, you just have these outbursts of anger, and then you feel like you're going crazy because I'm all so upset because I love you so much, and so it's a very confusing time. 61% have difficulty concentrating. 60% find it difficult to fall or stay asleep. A lot of times you wake up at 4 in the morning and you think, oh, it was a nightmare, and then you realize it wasn't. 70% have a loss of interest in activities and life in general. 73% feel uneasy around pregnant people. 75% feel like life is divided into two categories, like this was me before I lost my baby. And this is the person I am now. 77% feel detached from others. And 78% fear losing a future child. More than three-fourths fear losing a future child because they realize they didn't have any power with this. What power would they have in any future pregnancy? If you look at your screen right now, that's all the trauma that that people who have had miscarriage and stillbirth feel. It's daunting. It's a huge amount of trauma. And I don't believe we're serving these people. So if you say, what can we do to help? There are four main areas that you can help. Education, emotional, physical, and spiritual. I'd like to cover education first. Couples who lose a baby need help before during and after the loss of their baby who's died. Beforehand, we need to instruct the family where to find guidance and support before delivering that baby. So if they come into Heaven's Gain Ministries, what we'll do is we'll hand them a miscarriage kit. And this miscarriage kit, will say, we'll sit them down, find out where they are, what's going on, listen to them, and then say, can I help you prepare you for this birth? Of this baby. So say it's going to be a first trimester miscarriage at home, and we'll find out what's going on. Well, what did the doctor tell you? He said, I'll have some bleeding and cramping. That's true. But let me explain it to you a little bit better. When that placenta releases from the uterine wall, you'll start to have some spotting, and then you'll have some cramping. Then it's going to stop. Then you're going to have cramping. It's going to stop. You're going to have cramping. It's going to stop. Because you're in labor. You're delivering a baby. A miscarriage is a delivery of a baby. And so we're going to be going in labor. And when that fully releases, that's when the baby and the placenta will come out. And so you're going to need something to catch that baby because it's devastating to have your baby hit the toilet water. And so we have a little strainer. We have a place to put the baby in and all these things for a miscarriage kit at home. We have it out at our table if you want to see it later. Let's say that they're going to end to deliver a, a second trimester baby a late, uh, or um, a stillborn baby in the hospital. They come in and we sit down. We find out where they are. We talk to them about how you're feeling, what's going on, what preparation you get. Usually it's just be at the hospital. And we'll talk to them about here's what's going to happen. When you go to the hospital... They're going to say, why are you here? And it's really hard to choke out the words, I'm here to deliver my baby who's dead. So let's write this down on an index card. I'm here to deliver my baby sleeping. I'm here to deliver my baby who's died. However you want to write it. So when you go in, you can show them that. And they're going to ask it again when you go to the labor and delivery floor. And you don't want to have to say it. So let's do that. They're going to take you to labor and delivery And it's not a punishment. They're not doing that. I know it's hard to hear the newborn babies, but that's where they have all the equipment to save your life. That's where the people that specialize in labor and delivery are, and you're going to need those people there. They're going to show you to a room that has like wings on the door or a teardrop so that the garbage man coming in doesn't say, oh, congratulations, what did you have? So everybody understands this is a solemn place. 
we talk to them about, you know, you know, they may be offering you medication. Think about if you want a narcotic where you don't have, won't remember much time with your baby or something that's less mind-altering. We talk to them about what the delivery is going to be like, and we talk to them about how to create memories and mementos with their children. We talk to them about seeing their baby, holding their baby, kissing their baby. We make a lot of suggestions and write down what they want and what they don't want and say the positive and negatives of each. Hey, Dad, do you want a father-daughter dance with your daughter? You only are going to have a couple hours. How, how much, what, what are the important things for you to do in this process? And we get it all written down in a birth plan. It takes about two hours. The hospital staff is so glad that we've already gone through this with them. They come in scared and just wanting to get it over with. And they leave empowered and ready to spend that time with their baby. It really is a beautiful transformation. During the delivery, we can be available via phone now that it's COVID. Um, We're in Cincinnati. So um, people that are out of town call us during delivery because they might be having troubles following through with their birth plan. Afterwards, we have support for individuals, couples, and group support over Zoom. Also afterwards, we talk to them about prevention. So every two years, there is something called the Stillbirth Summit that the Star Legacy Foundation has. And at the Stillbirth Summit, people from all around the world come together to try and prevent stillbirth. And more lately, they've been trying to prevent miscarriage. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we carry a book at Heaven's Gain called One in Four. Um, Barbara Toppin is on the board of the Star Legacy Foundation. She's a wonderful lady. She wrote this book. And she has, um, has determined what tests are needed to determine if there's a blood clotting issue. And she has her patients take these tests and gives them... She, they found that a lot of these babies that are dying due to miscarriage are due to this, these blood clotting issues. And in her practice, she's changing from 1 in 4 to 1 in 12. And so when people come in and they, they talk to us afterwards, we also talk to them about hopeful prevention. And we know just in the Cincinnati area of 24 babies who got treated for the blood clotting issues, and those ba- rainbow babies are here now. So it's, um, it's a wonderful thing. But when I, I sat down with Dr. Toppin and at lunch, and she said to me, I just, from talking to you, I imagine you're pro-life. I said, yes, I'm pro-life. And she said, well, I'm not. I'm pro-choice. But what I want to know is why aren't pro-lifers doing more to prevent miscarriage and stillbirth? I had never thought of that before. Why aren't we? Why aren't we working on preventing miscarriage and stillbirth? It's something we can do, even if it's as simple as handing out these books so that that somebody who's had a miscarriage doesn't have one again. It's somewhere we need to work on. So now that we've talked about educational, we're going to talk about emotional support, and you all can do these things, okay? All right. First of all, acknowledge the loss. Say, I'm so sorry for the loss of your baby. Don't ignore it. Don't not talk about it. You're not going to remind them that their baby died. They remember. Talk about it. It's okay. I'm really sorry about the loss of your baby. Listen to each parent's worries without judgment. Listen to them, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Don't stifle his or her tears, but let them see sadness in your eyes that you really believe this is a real loss of a real human being. Listen to the birth story that no one else wants to hear. Don't try and make the couple feel better, but sit with them in their sadness. Ask the baby's name and call the baby by name. It's such a beautiful thing. Understand going back to work isn't easy, If you work with somebody who's lost a baby, give them a break. If you work with a guy who's lost a baby, ask him how he's doing, not just how his wife is doing. Ask how he's doing. Men and women do mourn differently, but they do both mourn. And find a couple who has experience with pregnancy loss to meet with that grieving couple. 
or find a support group or support organization in your area or online. We do have online support at Heaven's Gain. Protect them from well-meaning people who say all the wrong things. Okay, we all have an Aunt Gertie in our family. And if your name is Gertie, I apologize already. But we all have an Aunt Gertie in our family. And you know, it's not just about miscarriage or stillbirth, but she said the wrong thing all the time. It doesn't matter what it is. So when she says things like, at least you can have more children, I never had it after Gabe. At least it happened early. As pro-lifers, we could never, ever say that. If we believe life begins at conception, we should never be saying that. At least you didn't get too attached. You don't know how attached they got. The baby might have been sick. As you heard Bob say, I've lost three babies. My first baby actually had his intestines on the outside of him. If, if he, God would, you know, let some miracle let him live, I would have been at the hospital every day taking care of him. It didn't matter that he was sick. Or be thankful for the children you have. Those are kind of black back slaps like you're not thankful for the kids you have because you're sad that your baby died. Not right. So when Aunt Gertie calls once a year, you can blow her off. But if Aunt Gertie's calling that family every day, help her set some boundaries. Help them set some boundaries or call Aunt Gertie and say, Aunt Gertie, let me try and explain this to you and try and stop her from saying all the wrong things. And listen to that couple when they're pregnant with a rainbow pregnancy. So when you lose a baby, it's the storm of losing the baby. And after the storm comes the rainbow, we're taking a rainbow back. And so um, the rainbow pregnancy is the pregnancy after you lose a baby. And so, um, yes, 90% of the time those babies will be born fine, but not all the time. Emotionally, sorry, I went backwards, so whoops. Now physical support. And you can all do this too. So listen, because you can do it. Don't say, call me if you need anything. No one will ever call you. You need to offer to do a specific chore. Make a list. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm picking up whatever you need. What day can I bring a dinner? Who can I call for you? Or would you like me to send an email to family and friends? Help plan a service or a burial for that baby. Call cemeteries about the cost of a burial. You good on the computer? Make a program for that baby for the service. Attend the service for the family. Don't let that church be empty. Send flowers or donate to, to a, a charity in that baby's name. Offer to babysit so that, that that couple has time to be together and grieve and heal. Or at least send a condolence card. So now that we've covered educational, emotional, and physical, I'd like to cover spiritual support. And this is last but not least. This is very, very important. I told you part of my story. I'll tell you a little bit more. So when we went into the hospital, I was still in the state of shock pretty much. So I just went in and I just kept saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to live my life. I don't want to be me. I don't, I don't want any of this. And my husband is a good, good man. And he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to say a decade of the rosary. I'm going to read you some of this stuff they just handed to me about losing a baby and then I'll let you watch TV. And then over and over, this happened all day. Decade of the Rosary, I'm going to read you a little bit, which I don't remember any of it. And then you can watch TV, and I don't remember that either. But I do remember the Decades of the Rosary. Came to 9 o'clock that night, we had been there 13 hours, and nothing was happening. The induction was not working. So uh, got our get-out-of-jail-free card, and I was packing up, and the nurse who'd been there all day with me stayed late, And she came in to give me a hug goodbye. And when she came in to give me a hug goodbye, my water broke. And we knew we were staying. My husband, you know, he was finally going to get to leave. He had been such good support all day and he was going to get a break. Well, he wasn't going to get a break now. But something happened to me. When my water broke, I had a strength that I hadn't had all day. I was like... I'm going to do labor. I'm going to give my baby my labor. This is my gift to him, and I'm going to do this. And so I hugged my husband for a little bit. He went to sleep. I woke him up six hours later and said, it's time to deliver. I did my labor. 
I didn't find out till about three months later that at that very moment, my Bible study sisters, friends, I call them sisters, were all in adoration exactly at that time praying for me. So if you think that prayer doesn't change things, you're wrong. It really changes things. So if you know somebody going in the hospital to deliver or going through labor at home, do a sign-up genius or something like that. Make sure there's somebody praying for the entire time that they're going through that labor and delivery. Wrap your arms around them and let Jesus comfort them through you. Don't try to make sense of the loss, but accept it as a serious loss of one of their children. Don't give God's will was done. Most people don't know the difference between perfect direct will and permissive will, and this isn't the time they're going to understand. Pray for them to have discernment of spirits. When was Jesus attacked most? On the cross and in the desert, when he was physically his weakest, emotionally at his weakest. That is when the devil is going to come and attack. He's going to say, you know, you couldn't have handled another kid. This baby's dead because you're not going to be a good enough mom. Dad, you know you don't make enough money for another kid. That's why. You weren't successful enough. The baby dies. He's going to tell lie after lie after lie. So help them to have discernment of spirits and protect them from the lies of the devil. Call them out. Say, that's the devil. That is not. That is not of God. And pray for the hole in their heart that will scab and leave a scar and try to understand it can only fully be healed when they're with Jesus and their baby in heaven someday. The last area I'm going to cover is how can we adjust the mindset of the culture through our words and actions. We can change the culture by being consistent. By being consistent. Recognizing the dignity of the child and allowing the parents to grieve is essential to the healing, no matter the cause of death, whether it be miscarriage, stillbirth, infant death, or abortion. It's a consistent life ethic. And the consistent pro-life ethic compels us to meet the needs of those experiencing the loss of a baby. And what are those needs? The needs of grieving family? Well, they tell us, no one told us. No one told us what to expect. They just said be at the hospital at 8 a.m. No one told us how red the baby would be and that he would look like he suffered as he died. No one prepared them. We prepare the families for that. No one told us keep all the mementos you can because that's all you're going to have left. No one told us don't rush it. Don't rush it. But treasure that short time you have with your baby. No one told us we could bury our baby or have him cremated. No one said we could have a funeral. And no one told us how alone we would feel when no one came to visit after we buried our son. I wish someone would have told us. And so Heaven's Gain Ministries is here. Our mission is to provide for the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of families experiencing the loss of a baby before, during, or after the delivery of their precious baby. We believe that we are the most comprehensive organization for miscarriage and stillbirth. All the glory to God. It wasn't us. We serve over 1,500 families a year, and that's a lot of families. But there's a million families going through miscarriage every year. There's 24,000 families going through stillbirth. We're only getting a little bit. Our website has 3,000 to 6,000 visitors every month. We get calls from people that say, I've been on your website for five days now. And I've got a lot, but I got one more question for you because it's a very comprehensive website. All of our support services are free of charge. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. And you think it was hard for you today? This is what I do every day, every day. So please, please pray for us at Heaven's Gate Ministries. We saw the need and we answered the call. Do you see the need where you live? What does your pregnancy center do when there's, no, when there's no heartbeat? What does your pregnancy center do? Sorry, I've got to get a drink. Do they just assume, well, she was abortion-minded, she doesn't want the baby? Because they leave crying too. 
because they've lost a baby. Pregnancy centers need to be offering these services. What does your church do for miscarriage or stillbirth? See if you can get it in the bulletin every week. Get somebody trained in your parish that can help. Put it in the bulletin. If you've had a miscarriage or stillbirth, please contact the parish office and they will direct you. Because one out of four pregnancies is miscarried. We need to be reaching out to these people. What's your plan? What's your plan to help those with miscarriage and stillbirth? At your pregnancy center? At your church? What is your plan? We have a plan. It's called the Revelation Plan. It was just revealed to her that her baby died. And we will reveal to her how she's going to live through this. We are training advocates for parents of perinatal loss, acronym APPLE, with this revelation plan. R stands for reassure your client and help her to slow down and expel that panic so she can slow down, not want to get it over with, and learn to treasure that time with her baby. E is for ease her mind by educating her about her delivery. Part of it is fear. It's the spirit of fear. And if we can educate this couple, they are not going to be so fearful. Validate his or her feelings. Empower them to make decisions that are right for them, for their delivery and for their healing. Listen and learn to her needs or wants for her baby's birth. Answer any other questions to the best of your ability. Teach her to treasure the time with her baby And then we type or write out that birth plan so they have it physically in hand. Involve her faith. So important. And involve her husband or partner. Offer ongoing support before, during, and after delivery. And ask if she's named her baby and call her baby by name. Don't be afraid to mention the name of a baby who's died. You're never going to remind them they will always remember that baby. Don't be afraid. So we can provide the training, as I said, with our advocates for parents of perinatal loss, Apple, to pro-life centers and to churches because we are only serving 1,500 families a year and this needs to spread. Wouldn't it be great if every pro-life center had a room that was specific to those who've had miscarriage and stillbirth? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You would have everybody coming because there's nobody else out there. And people would realize we aren't those crazy pro-lifers. And wouldn't it be a blessing if every church had a ministry for those experiencing the loss of a baby? As pro-lifers, we need to be consistent. Whether it's miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion. And we can change the culture by being consistent. So now you can see why serving families with miscarriage and stillbirth is the missing piece to that puzzle. So I want to talk to you about my what-ifs. What if the pro-life movement was viewed as the supportive force for families experiencing pregnancy loss? And what if the pro-life movement would be that beacon of light for those grieving families? People would come to us because they know that we really believed that you had a baby you have a baby and that you love this baby and we want to help you. Then the pro-life message would be consistent. And then the pro-life movement would naturally grow. It's serving these families is the right thing to do. And the pro-life movement can do it. That's it. Donna Marie, thank you so very much. A very eye-opening and uh, sobering look at, at something that you're right. is a missing piece, and not enough people talk about it. But we do have a lot of people who want to ask you about it. So I've got a number of questions here that we're going to take a few minutes for our question and answers. Okay. The first one, and I think you just touched on it in the very last second to last slide, I think, 
Should the miscarried slash stillborn still be named? My stillborn brother was not given a name. My mom had a total of nine pregnancies, one stillbirth, six miscarriages, and two live births, my sister and me. Even my stillborn brother was not given a name. Is this right? I miss having a brother. I'm 70 now. He would be 72. So it would be really hard if we didn't call our siblings by name or our children by name, if we just called them boy or girl or something like that. Of course we need to call them by name. We need to call them by name for a number of reasons. We need to call them by name because when we're referring to them, we need to know who we're referring to. We need to call them by name because I believe these babies are saints in heaven that intercede for us incredibly. They're sinless souls. I believe they're in heaven. And they can pray for us every day. And you can't say, Saint, baby, I don't know your name. You want to say, Saint Gabriel, I need your help right now. Next question. You are still hurt from your loss. I have to believe all the celebrities celebrating their decision to elevate their careers with abortion are just as internally hurt and putting on a facade. Can you touch on this? I I do believe they're really hurt. I really, really do. And, you know, I just think if, you know, people like Oprah would turn around and say, you know, it was... it was a mistake. I, I made a mistake when I had that abortion, and I'm sorry, and, and I do miss my baby every day. You can even tell when they talk, you know. You know, Chrissy Teigen, it's like you have to do such gymnastics in your brain to say I'm pro-choice, but I just lost my baby in the second trimester, and I'm devastated. I mean, the gymnastics you have to do in your mind are incredible. So, yes, I, I do miss my son, but I am much more healed. The first couple years are the hardest. You've been listening to Donna Marie Murphy, Executive Director of Heaven's Gain Ministries, a certified baby loss family advisor and presenter at the 2022 Bringing America Back to Life Convention. From the Median is listener supported. Visit our website, fromthemedian.org for further information or to make a donation to continue to make this radio program possible. Email us, radionews at fromthemedian.org or call 440-668-4049. Through our FromTheMedian.org website, you can download this or previous programs for your listening pleasure or sign up to receive our weekly preview of upcoming guest interviews. Tune in every weeknight at the same time to listen to another great interview on From the Median as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. This program has been sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life and is responsible for its content.